Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash sacred text. Chapter 20. Xenophilius Lovegood. Harry had not expected Hermione's anger to abate overnight, and was therefore unsurprised that she communicated mainly by dirty looks and pointed silences next morning. Ron responded by maintaining an unnaturally sombre demeanour in her presence. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Of course, we want to start with the most important thing, which is gratitude for our patrons, Hannah Albtrecht. Christiana Fiddler, Ava Mack, Michelle, and Jasmine, thank you so much for your support. And to all of our patrons, we couldn't do this without you. And a big shout out to our local group in Denver, Colorado, the Wizengamot of the Rockies. Excellent name. Go Denver. It's run by Bobby Rosenberg. And if you want to join Bobby and the Wizengamot of the Rockies, go to harrypottersacredtext.com and click on local groups. Don't you think it's a little arrogant that they're like, do you know what we are? the Wizigamot. It would be like me saying that, like, I'm the Supreme Court of Medford. <laughs> but that's what I like. They then they, they then say of the Rockies. So they're like, <laughs> it's really just a regional group. And there's not many of us out West. So <laughs> Vanessa, we're reading this chapter of Xenophilius Lovegood through the theme of reality, which I feel like is already a bit of a read on Xenophilius. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking forward to your story that you're going to share with us today. So as I've talked about on the podcast, probably ad nauseum, I apologize, everyone. A couple of years ago, I got diagnosed with endometriosis and have spent the last couple of years figuring out how to live with this chronic illness. 
But it took me a really long time to get diagnosed. And a lot of doctors had no idea what to do with me. But one day I went to a doctor, I went to a GI doctor, sort of, even though my symptoms were not all GI related, I was just sort of desperately going to any doctor who would listen to me. And this doctor was incredible. She was like, look, your symptoms make no sense to me. I have no idea what's going on with you, but we are going to get to the bottom of this together. Like, you should not have to live like this. And she was like, we're going to start with these really non-invasive tests and we're just going to keep going until we figure out what is going on with you. And I was just so grateful to her. I felt like I was in such expert hands for the first time in years. And we did. We started with just some like really basic blood work and the least invasive tests that you can have. And then Peter and I went to Germany on a family trip with the kids And he and I were in the car and I got an email saying my test results were in. And I swear to you, Casper, it might as well have said congratulations. It said, you have a parasite, but like in glitter writing because it was such good news to me. (laughs) And it was like from this doctor being like, hi, Vanessa, great news. You have a parasite. Antibiotics are going to knock it out. It doesn't explain all of your symptoms, but, you know, parasites impact everybody differently. It's possible that it's doing X, Y, and Z. She was like, we figured it out. I can't believe we figured it out. I never would have seen this coming. And then for the next two weeks that we were in Germany, I couldn't get the antibiotics until I came back to the States. And so Peter, the kids, and I were just like blissfully living in this reality that I had a parasite and in two weeks I was going to come back to the U.S. and I was going to be all better. And Peter and I basically spent the next day and a half in the car. And every once in a while, we would just look at each other and be so happy. We'd be like, it's just a parasite. Like, I just have to take an antibiotic and it's going to be gone. And then, of course, it turns out that I (laughs) had a parasite on top of having endometriosis. I came back and I took the antibiotics and most of my symptoms did not go away. And I guess what's interesting to me is that it turns out that we were wrong and that I had actually a really long road to diagnosis and recovery ahead of me. Mm. But we had a great time on that trip (laughs) in this, right, like fake news reality. And I'm not glad for it. Like it took me off of the trajectory of a correct diagnosis for an extra month. But it really did. It shaped at least that trip. And I can look back on that trip with such happy memories when it turns out that I was living in a completely fictional reality. Mm. Oh, that resonates so much. I think especially now during the pandemic when we don't know when it's going to end. And I think that's one of the really difficult experiences. It's like there isn't that sense of like, we know what it is or we know how to fix it or we know how to, it's just like waiting. And in some ways, the trio are in a similar situation because they feel like they've made real progress and Ron is back and, and everything has changed. And it's, so it's a similar kind of like the, the two weeks in Germany effect, as I'm going to call it, <laughs> or, or the promise of the parasite. Maybe that's the parable at the heart of book seven. Um, so I, I completely recognize that situation. And you're right. Like, it isn't just a question of, oh, put on a s- sunny smile and like everything's going to be okay. Your diagnosis was delayed, right? There still are Horcruxes to be destroyed. So at best, it's a reprieve, but at worst, it can actually do real damage, right? Hashtag fake news. So... I'll tell you what isn't fake news. The excellence of the upcoming 30-second recap. Hmm. Well, I will be the decider of that. (laughs) I don't know if you know, I became the decider. I was going to say, there's no longer audience voting. It's just your decision who wins. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. 
Okay, so it's confused, but like, where do we go now? But happy that Ron is back, but still fighting because Ron and Hermione like, mm. and then um, Hermione's like, I've got a book and I think we should go see, see Xenophilus Lovegood because he was wearing the same mark that's also in Beetle and Bard. Oh my God, things starting to come together. And Ron is like, I definitely agree with you, whatever you say. Let's vote on it. Okay, two to one, let's go. So they go to near Ron's house and they're like, oh, it's not here. And then they go to another house and they're like, it's definitely here because look at the signs. And then they go in and Xenophilus is like, I'm scared, but now I'll go get Luna, but maybe not. You did the first half of the chapter. The thing I really wanted to get to was like the random objects, like the spider that grows and the wild like thing horn. You can't tell me what you want me to include. I'm the decider. This is not deciding. This is controlling. (laughs) Okay, count me in. Three, two, one, go. Something that Casper didn't get to that I think is really important are all of the objects in this chapter. For example, there's the spider who gets engorged but not smaller. The shape of the house is a castle. Xenophilius has like this weird horn that Hermione is like, it's going to explode. Xenophilius goes and is like, Luna, Luna, come up here. And Luna's on her way or is she? Um, They are really excited to talk to Xenophilius. He seems... Um, reluctant to offer Harry help, which is ironic because he's telling everybody else to help Harry. Also, there's a great radio show that we learn about. Oh, yeah. This radio show actually really annoyed me in this chapter. It's a great place to start as far as reality. In the reality of this chapter, we don't know if this thing exists. And Ron is like, it doesn't air at a regular time. (laughs) We don't know when it is or where it is. And we don't know what the password is. But don't worry, I'll find it. It feels like a metaphor for the search of the Horcruxes. <laughs> That's true. We don't know where they are. We don't know how to find them. But we're gonna, because I have a special password from Dumbledore that doesn't make any sense. And I, I don't know what the password is. But don't worry. It's so annoying. The only reason, of course, that Ron knows about this radio show is that he left. And I think there are some nice moments in this chapter where Ron has information that we wouldn't have found if Ron had stayed with them. And so he he kind of has entered into a different reality, right? The reality outside of the trio's hunt for Horcruxes and has gathered information about Kingsley, about the word Voldemort being tagged and traced. So he's coming back resourced with information that's extremely useful to the search and to the mission. And so that there was something I liked about this idea of Ron stepping into another reality or perhaps us being able to step out of our own everyday and into the reality of other people's experience. And that in there, we can learn things that are actually valuable to our own lives. And that that was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Ron leaving is necessary to the success of the rest of this mission. And one of the things that I think is so interesting about what we learn about this other reality that he stepped into was that he chose not to go home to the borough. He goes to Shell Cottage and, you know, he says, well, Bill's always been good to me, which is very sweet. And basically, Bill has agreed to keep Ron's secret from the rest of the family. And what was interesting to me is that that confronts the idea that if you don't know something, it didn't happen. Right. Ron is like, oh, yeah, Ginny would have been real happy with me if she found out that I abandoned you. And like in Ginny's reality, that never happened. But I don't think that it would have changed her actual perception of Ron. Mm. I think she knows that Ron is a guy who storms off and then comes back and does the right thing. 
And so, yeah, it just made me wonder about the secrets that we keep for a sense of pride and for a sense of, I want this person's perception of me, their reality of me to be slightly different than what quote unquote really happened. That not knowing by the Weasleys of Ron, I think is mirrored in an interesting way by Harry forgetting about Ron's hatred of spiders. That moment when he's practicing with a new wand, trying to engorge this little spider that they see while they're like fake hunting for blackberries so they can just like talk without Hermione being around was really interesting to me because in some ways it suggested that like when someone leaves our immediate presence or or maybe it was the intentional forgetting of Ron, it kind of worked in a way for Harry. Like he's forgotten this core fear that Ron carries and they experienced, you know, Aragog together. So it's not like it's just a story that Ron has told him, but it it just emphasized for me how so much of our reality or, or our perception of the world is centered around ourselves. Like, at least for me, like I'm a selfish person. <laughs> like I'm thinking about me most of the time and that it takes such practice to constantly remind ourselves of the needs of others or the fears of others or the desires of others. And in that little moment where Ron is like, please don't do that. Harry's confused before he remembers, oh God, yeah, I'm sorry, you hate spiders, you know? So just that forgetting of the other happens from Harry as well as from the Weasleys potentially. Right. If it's not your lived reality, it's just like not instinctual for you Mm -hmm. to hold on to that information. I was just home visiting my family and I hate tuna, like canned tuna. (laughs) Yeah. It is an offensive smell to me. I don't understand how anybody likes it. So much so that it was like a prank my brothers would play on me when we were little. Like they would leave tuna containers in like inappropriate places. And then I was just home and my younger brother started eating tuna like right in front of my face. And I was like, you know how I feel about this. And he was like, oh, I totally forgot. I thought this is like such a big part of my reality that like that smell is so offensive to me that I was like, you're obviously doing this knowingly and to be a jerk. And he's like, no, I just haven't lived with you in 20 years and eat tuna all the time. And don't think about the fact that if you were here, it would bother you. A hundred percent. It's just so funny how two people can be standing in the same kitchen and be having two totally different realities. And thank goodness I said something because I would have been like, he's a selfish, mean jerk. He's doing it on purpose. Right, right. Yeah. And and sometimes we can shape our realities on purpose. Like Ron's behavior, kind of acquiescing to everything that Hermione says is such a classic example of like, oh, I want to ingratiate myself or I'm just going to accept whatever you say. Like, yes, we should <laughs> we should definitely go to Xenophilius Lovegood. Ron doesn't even remember who Xenophilius Lovegood is right now. Like, <laughs> I just, I feel like... Well, he also... <laughs> agrees she's like maybe it's about the search from within or whatever and he's like good point and she's like it's not a good point (laughs) shut up i was gonna bless hermione for exactly that moment because it's so amazing like she's feeling sorry for herself and she's like maybe this is a good idea and then she hears someone else say it she's like no so dumb (laughs) well also i think what she's mad at him for is that he rather than being committed to reality he is committed to supporting her yeah and committed to trying to get her back and she's like don't be so committed to getting me back that you're gonna say completely ridiculous things well this is i think something important to say like we've talked about people's individual perception and the the potential for having different realities but we are in the midst of some 
insane conspiracy theories being accepted as fact by growing numbers of Americans and no doubt more widely around the world. The resurgence of flat earth theory, the anti-vaccination movement, I mean, the QAnon intense kind of political movement that's happening on the right wing. There are really dangerous consequences when people's own perception of reality gathers political power in the sense that it's misplaced, like it's not actually built on fact. And so I want to put some boundaries on this sense of like, yes, we all have our own reality because like to some extent there are also actual facts. <laughs> oh yeah. And I think we see that with the horn that yes. Xenophilius and Hermione are sort of fighting over. Xenophilius is like, it's a crumple horn snorkak. And Hermione is like, no, it's not. It's super <laughs> dangerous. And if you touch it, <laughs> You could die. And I know we only find out in the next chapter that Hermione is right. And there are certain things where you're like, you can have your perception and I can have mine. You can think this piece of art is beautiful and I can have mine. But then there are others where like, no, if that gets touched, it's going to explode. And I think, you know, Harry turns to Hermione and is like, can you please not insult him right now? Hermione has this reputation of not being able to sit in a room with somebody who's saying a fact that is incorrect. And so Harry is like, can you not be that person right now? We're trying to better this guy up. And she's like, no, I have a responsibility to say something because that is dangerous. And I love Hermione for that. I love that Hermione is somebody who always wants what's true to be out there. And that in this moment, that's actually not what is motivating her. This is not her loving truth for the sake of truth. This is her loving truth because there are real risks involved. A hundred percent. There's another little place in the chapter where reality came to mind for me, which is that Ron says, Dumbledore must have known I was going to run out on you. And we talked about this in the last episode, that sense of humility, that sense of like really seeing himself for what he is in all his faults and all his goodness, but mostly his faults. And Harry reframes the story for him and says, no, Dumbledore must have known you would come back. And I think one of the best gifts of friendship is when we can help one another see another story that is also true. You know, it's not that the first part wasn't true, but it's that this part is also true. And I feel this is such a gift of friendship. I have a friend where, you know, I might say something like, you know, I'm really good at starting things, but I'm not good at seeing things through. And she'll say to me, don't say that about my friend Casper. And it's just such a sweet moment wherein, you know, I get challenged to think about myself differently and to think about, actually, there are things I have seen through and there are difficult situations that I've really stuck with. And maybe that story that I'm telling about myself isn't the full truth, right? It might not be completely wrong, but it's not the whole story. And I just, I really love seeing that moment between the two boys because it it helps me understand again why they're such dear friends to one another. Yeah. And the other funny thing about that is that Hermione is handling it so differently. <laughs> and that is also a loving friendship like way to handle it. Right. She's like, you need to do better. I demand more from you. And I, I think she knows she's going to forgive him and Ron knows she's going to forgive him. But it's important for her to make clear that like this behavior is not acceptable to her. And we need an ecosystem of friends in these moments. You need a friend who's like, look, we all make mistakes. And another friend be like, but this was a big one. Yeah, exactly. I love that image of like this balance of responses within a group of friends to, that, that is the full story. Because, yeah, he screwed up and he left. And we're so glad that he's back, right? Both those things are true. 
And it's interesting to think that we're in Xenophilius's house in this chapter and that we see the printing press because I think one of the most powerful ways that we can impact reality is like who gets to shape the story of what's possible. And of course, the media play an enormous role in this and particularly in this moment where so much local media is disappearing, local newspapers are struggling, more and more newspapers, media outlets are are being owned by the same owners. Like the power of who gets to tell the story of what's happening is enormous. And we see the importance of something like the Quibbler, which even though it has traditionally been filled with real quack stories, right? Like false science, false storytelling. It ends up being this vehicle of resistance, which is massively important for the kind of movement that's opposing Voldemort. And I'm just thinking about the structures in our world about who gets to say what's possible, right? If you think about the Green New Deal as one example, or how much money can be spent, right? If suddenly if it's a war, it's one thing. And yet if it's looking after people who are struggling with health or homelessness or whatever, it's not possible. And just the way in which choices are made. Oh, if it's your nominee, then it can be done in the year of an election. And if it's not your nominee, it can't. Absolutely. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Is there anything, Vanessa, that strikes you in the shape of the house? Our gaze lingers on the fact that Xenophilus' house and Luna's house, of course, is round. And one of the things that struck me was that Ron says, oh, look, it's a rook. 
Like, is there something in here that has to do with reality? I mean, there is the idea that, like, design can help shape a certain reality. And I think that certain different, like, architectural designs are meant for different things. It makes sense to me that the love goods would live in a circular house the same way that it's like, you know, the Knights of the Round Table, right? A circular space is supposed to be one of equality and one of listening and of peace. You know, the, it's only one kid, so you don't need a bunch of little rooms. Where's the burrow? Right. There's like this attempt at privacy with all of these different rooms stacked up on top of each other. I think design is a, a really interesting way to form reality. But while we're in Xenophilius's house, just, you know, one other place that I saw this idea of reality is that Xenophilius is saying Luna is here. She's just down at the river. Yeah. Which we will find out in the next chapter is a lie that Luna is being punished and held in Malfoy Manor. And what's so interesting to me is how disorienting it will be for the trio to suddenly see Luna in the basement of Malfoy Manor, because in their heads just 10 minutes ago, she was down by the river fishing. And Sally Rooney in her book, Conversation with Friends, talks about there's a scene in which a woman thinks she's pregnant and then it, the pregnancy test comes back and she wasn't pregnant. She, there was never a baby. And she describes that as saying, but there was a baby. For an hour, she was 100% sure she was pregnant. And now she's grieving that she lost a baby. And I think that it's amazing how completely not true, non-fact-based things can become so much a part of our lived realities that we can grieve them or that Xenophilia's love good can sit down and tell a story because Luna's just down at the river. It's incredible what our mind's eyes can conjure and how real that can feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think this is only going to get more tricky to navigate as new technologies of virtual reality and augmented reality glasses or, or, or filters through which we're going to see the world. Where does reality begin and end? I think that's going to become, I mean, it feels like a, an easy question sometimes, but as these new technologies become more and more embedded in our lives, I think it's going to be tricky to know, you know, does this robot have feelings? How do we know? Well, we have that already, right? We're like, you fall in love with someone on Tinder based on their picture and you meet them in real life and they don't quite look like that, but they sort of look like that. And it reminds you of that feeling, <laughs> you know, like I, we're already living in that. The big joke nowadays is that we're like dressed from the waist up, <laughs> right? Like in reality, I'm in bike shorts right now, but you don't know. I could be wearing my tuxedo dress. <laughs> And that is a version of reality that 200 years ago, nobody would have been able to fathom that somebody could only take in a certain part of you. Yeah. They would have said, what are bike shorts? I want a pair. <laughs> Women aren't allowed to bike. I was going to say, get me out of this restricted corset. <laughs> It is now time for Pardes, our four-step medieval Jewish practice, and I am going to pick a sentence at random. Here we go. All three of them returned to the tent when darkness fell and Harry took first watch. 
all three of them returned to the tent when darkness fell, and Harry took first watch. So the shot for this sentence is the end of the first whole day together. Ron and Harry have been hanging out picking those invisible blackberries. Harry's been like trying to practice with the new wand and being frustrated by it. And he's using this time to kind of practice trying to make stones levitate. And I think secretly Hermione and Ron are canoodling, but still in a resentful way (laughs) while Harry's keeping watch. Super no. (laughs) You just always want Hermione and Ron to be hooking up. I do. This is... A shot. This is the intended meaning of the sentence. <laughs> Anything else you want to add to shot? Sure. The actual intended meaning of the sentence, which is that they they were all sort of wandering around doing things all day. It's now nighttime. And yes, Ron and Hermione are in the tent alone together. Probably with Ron sycophantically staring at her while Hermione is like, <laughs> and Harry volunteers to take first watch, probably <laughs> allowing them to be alone together on purpose. Okay, I want it. I want it too. So the second step of Pardes' remez, in which we're going to take one word and we're going to try to trace it through the seven books. And the sentence one more time is, all three of them returned to the tent when darkness fell and Harry took first watch. Which word would you like to trace with me, Casper? Tent. Ooh, yeah, I'm immediately thinking, of course, book four, where we see camping at the the Quidditch World Cup and just the way in which the tent there has this kind of like magical quality, right? This this sense of like impossibly large, comfortable spaces being within a very small enclosed one and that Hermione has that with the bag right now, right? There's all sorts of storage capacity, even though it's a small little pouch, even the Tri-Wizard Tournament. The Four-Wizard Tournament. Yeah, exactly. As as the kind of the three or four champions are about to go and face their dragon on the brooms. There's that sense of like tents being a poorer space because you can come in from the back or from the front. So there's a sense of, you know, Harry's protecting one side, but he can't see the other. So a sense of danger, maybe, that I hadn't thought about in this moment. I don't know. What other tents are there in the books? This isn't a tent. But it reminds me of a tent. The kids' four-poster beds and the fact that they can, like, draw curtains and there's, right? It's a tent-like feeling. Yes. There's privacy, even though there sort of isn't any privacy. And yet it can create a sense of intimacy. And it does matter, the inside and outside of it, right? Like, Harry is sitting outside of the tent and watching. Like, even though it's just a piece of fabric, it matters, And there's also an echo with the marquee from the wedding. Mm. Just that sense of like a temporary structure and the presence of Kingsley's uh, Patronus. Because in this chapter, they're also wondering, oh, was maybe the Patronus that we saw, right? Ron's like that doe, maybe it was Kingsley. And it's refuted then by Harry. But nonetheless, like that, that sense of like an invisible presence that's helping them coming from outside in the shape of a Patronus has happened here as well as, as at the wedding. Yeah, the more that we're talking about it, the more that I realize that I I love tents because they come in and they can be emergency structures. They come in and are like, oh, your physical structures can't hold people. Mm. I am a piece of fabric, but I can. <laughs> I love that. It's like the tent manifesto. I will hold you. It's actually a Josh Groban tent. It's like, I'll raise you up. <laughs> Josh Groban should be the spokesperson for all tents. 
but I do. I love a tent. <laughs> so the third stage of Pardes is Drosh, in which we try to excavate what the lesson or the meaning that we want to make of this piece of lectionary is. And so I'll read it to us one more time. And then Casper, I'd love to hear what you would want to preach on, what lesson you want to pull. All three of them returned to the tent when darkness fell and Harry took first watch. I'm thinking about the importance of rhythm and return. When darkness fell, all three of them returned. And there's something about return that I think is really important in religious life in the sense that we're not going to be perfect all of the time. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things that we regret. But it's in the returning that we recommit to the values that we hold, the relationships that are important to us, that we seek forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong. And I feel like we've really looked at Ron doing that right now, right, over the last few chapters. But all three of them are doing that in some way all the time, right? Hermione will probably whisper to Ron at some point, I'm sorry, I was so angry with you. Harry will probably say to Hermione at some point, I'm sorry, I was so angry with you about the wand, right? Like just those moments of returning to one another again and again in the friendship. I think that's actually what makes a relationship in the end is that return when it gets dark outside. So I think that's that's what I would preach on. How about you? I think I would preach on Harry took first watch. I love the idea that they're taking turns with the responsibility I love that there's sort of a system, but also not, right? It's not like, oh, this is the way we always do it. They always have one person on watch and that is their routine, but it sort of depends on how people feel. Oh, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. And there seems to be a real caretaking mm. aspect to it. It almost feels like a kibbutz, right? Like it's a it's communal living. They're living the life that we all like talk about wanting to live of like, <laughs> I'm going to live with my best friends and it's not going to matter who's dating who. We're just all going to take care of each other. And sometimes I'll do the cooking and sometimes you'll do the cooking. And like to a certain extent, they're living that and, uh, you know, and it's under horrible conditions. Mm. But I think I would I would preach on how we should all always offer to take the first watch if we can that we should be trying to take care of each other in these little ways all the time. And that we should let people take care of us, right? Like Hermione and Ron accept this gracious act of Harry's. And I wonder, I know I was mocking you for it, but I do wonder if part of the reason that they accept it is that they know that they need a minute alone together. Yeah. Even if it's just to look at each other and say like, I know you're angry with me, but this will pass or, or, or something, you know. Even if it's just for Hermione to harumph around him more. <laughs> I feel like that in a fight sometimes where I'm like, I don't want you to talk, but I also don't want you to leave. Yeah. You need to stay here and let me be angry with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you are the only person who I want to be in a room with right now, but I hate you. <laughs> and then the last step of Pardis's sewed where we see if there is a secret waiting for us in this conversation in this mm. sentence. And I will read it for you one more time, Casper, and then we'll see if a sewed emerges. All three of them returned to the tent when darkness fell and Harry took first watch. Something shocking occurred to me. Ooh, what? It's like a very Christian manger scene, right? That my understanding of Jesus's birth is right that it was in a barn like in an in-between space. Yeah. Which a tent is very much an in-between space and there's like the three wise men who come and there's obviously all of these threes. 
And so I think that there's something about rebirth happening when about three returning to a tent. I was going to say there's only one wise woman, not three wise men in this scene. But nonetheless, I'm with you. (laughs) That is some good feedback. Thank you. What about you? Did a soda merge for you? Will you read it once more for me? Happily. All three of them returned to the tent when darkness fell and Harry took first watch. What strikes me is knowing where we're going, knowing that we're going to the Lovegood's house and who isn't there. Where are the mirror trio? So Neville, Luna, and Ginny. We know that Luna is in Malfoy Mansion. And just thinking about the, as this trio comes back together, knowing that the other trio has been split up, I I guess it, it just makes me think about where they are and their lack of returning to one another because they're being kept apart. Yeah, so I guess just a sadness in my soul a little bit. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Angela. Hey, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. I've been catching up on the podcast recently, and I just got to the place at the end of book six, after Bill was attacked, where everyone encourages Lupin to get together with Tonks. This time through, the scene in the hospital wing struck me in a different way. My own sexual orientation is fairly confusing, but I've identified as asexual for several years now, and increasingly as aromantic as well. So I'm someone that doesn't experience sexual attraction, and probably doesn't experience romantic attraction either. And this time through, the scene in the hospital wing felt really familiar in a not great way. 
because it kind of feels like Lupin is being pressured into a relationship that he doesn't feel is a good fit for him. It's entirely possible that he really is interested in a romantic and sexual relationship with Tonks, and that the only obstacle is his self-loathing. But I know from experience that it's really easy to assume that lacking a certain kind of attraction is self-sabotage when it's actually not. People are right that Lupin deserves love and support, but I don't think it's fair of them to insist that the best way for him to receive that love is through marrying Tonks. Throughout the next book, we see Lupin really struggling in his life with Tonks. And obviously, it's complicated. They have a kid together, and there are plenty of ways to read their relationship. But I don't feel like we see Lupin ever expressing either romantic or sexual attraction to Tonks. And I find the idea that Lupin might be trapped in a marriage he never wanted with a person that he cares for deeply really haunting. Particularly because neither of them ever get the chance to work through that relationship. So I wanted to offer a blessing to anyone who's pursuing a life that their loved ones think is a good fit for them, but they're realizing isn't. You deserve to feel happy and whole, and I wish you grace and strength in your journey of figuring out what that looks like. Angela, I love this reading. I'm embarrassed to say it's never occurred to me, and I'm so grateful for you helping me see it. And I think queering the text and queer readings of the text are always so generative. And this is leading me to just rethink so many of the patterns that we've looked at with Lupin. And I, I just I just really appreciate your invitation to read him through an ace lens. That's super cool. Yeah, and I think we should always be skeptical when people tell us what's good for us, mm. right? just been thinking a lot about the ways that we talk about weight in terms of health, right? Like the ways that we talk about deserving love when it's like, yeah, I know I deserve love. I just don't want that love. You know, to your point earlier, Casper, friendships can remind us of what we deserve and that we are worthy. And then they can also really confuse us. And it's, it's such a hard balance. I think everybody in that scene is trying to treat Lupin with love. Mm -hmm. And I think, Angela, you're exactly right that they might be entirely missing the mark. So it is now time to offer blessings in addition to Angela's. And Casper, today I want to bless Fleur. Ooh. She is away from home. She's not spending Christmas with her family. Mm. She probably is relieved maybe, you know, Ron makes a joke about how she's probably relieved to not go to the borough. And that might be true. It might not be true. But I just think that homesickness is prolonged and she has given up a lot to be in this relationship. And rather than like working at Gringotts and doing all these things that she was planning on doing, much like COVID has changed a lot of people's lives, she's moved to a country and now there's a war. And I am sure that she and Bill are wonderful together and she's happy in that marriage. And I just would imagine that there are moments of profound homesickness and loneliness for her. Her wedding got interrupted by a battle. I'm guessing she hasn't been able to see her sister. Just this visual of her at Shell Cottage, it suddenly really broke my heart. So I just want to send a blessing to anybody who is feeling homesick and lonely right now. I think that a lot of us feel stuck somewhere that we didn't quite think we would be stuck because of COVID. And I just want to offer you a blessing. What about you, Casper? Who would you like to bless today? I want to bless Luna because I think she is the book's Vanessa Bell. Ooh! We, of course, are big fans of Virginia Woolf because we're big fans of Stephanie Purcell. The two, to me, go together. <laughs> I also just love Virginia Woolf, but sure. I mean, yes. 
<laughs> and Virginia's sister Vanessa was a wonderful painter. And at the house in Charleston in Sussex, not far from where I grew up, Vanessa Bell painted all sorts of elements of the house that are not traditionally painted, whether it was lampshades or skirting boards or sofas, like all sorts of parts of the house were painted. And we see a little snippet of that in the Lovegood's house. Like it's decorated, it's painted, it's transformed by the love and the talent and the care and the, the artistry of Luna. What I loved about it is that she, she she changes the rules of what can be made beautiful. And I just want to lift that up in Luna and, and in all of us that we can, you know, we can paint walls or tables or whatever we want. It doesn't always have to look like every other Instagram post. So a blessing for Luna and any creative souls out there breaking the rules. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can find listeners who are discussing the episodes in the Facebook Common Room, run by incredible volunteer facilitators who we are so, so grateful for. You can join one of our local groups, which are almost all online right now. And you can come join the community of people who are supporting us on Patreon. If you go to harrypottersacredtext.com, you can leave Casper a review on iTunes and you can send us a voicemail. It makes you laugh every time. It's the only reason I keep saying it. <laughs> Next week, we'll read chapter 21 of book seven, The Tale of the Three Brothers, through the theme of dreams. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nedelman. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we're distributed by Acast. Thanks to Angela for this week's voicemail, and as ever to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Purcell. We'll be with you all again next week. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, your favorite podcast. <laughs> I feel like that tone is going to confuse people so much that they're going to be like, what is that? <laughs> and then you're going to be like your favorite podcast. And they're going to be like, that's what it that's is. That's right. That's right. My favorite podcast. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, one of your favorite podcasts. <laughs> A top five a top, a top t- 12. On the right day, you listen to a lot of them. <laughs> like on a road trip or in line at Trader Joe's before you're allowed to go in. <laughs> I think we are the perfect podcast for that situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>